For what do I have if I don't have you, Jesus? What in this life could mean anymore? You are my rock. You are my glory. Hi, and welcome to The Rock Podcast. Today in Mark chapter 4, we're reminded that Jesus is present with us in the storms of life, that He has power over the storms of life, and that He has a purpose for the storms in life. Let's join Pastor Jim with a message entitled, Jesus Calms the Storm. All right, I'd like to welcome everybody back to the sanctuary and take your seats for this evening's Bible study. And I received a, a reminder from Kim that Saturday is, it's time to change your clocks. It's fall back one hour, correct, Kim? So you're going to want to make sure you turn your clocks back an hour or you're going to be late for church on Sunday? Early. Well, that wouldn't be so bad. So, you know, if you don't want to do it or if you forget, you'll just be early for church. So make sure you do that. So if you have a Bible, why don't you bust it open to Mark chapter 4, Mark chapter 4 for our Bible study. And while you guys are doing that, I'm going to pray and ask the Lord's blessing on our time. Heavenly Father, we praise you and we want to give this time to you. We also think about our pastor and the team over there in Africa. We want to pray your blessing on them. It sounds like you're doing a wonderful work in them and through them. And we pray that you would continue to do that and you'd bring them home safely to us with wonderful reports. And and now, right now, Lord, we're asking that you would do an amazing work in our hearts through your word and and by your spirit. Take my simple little message, your powerful word, and change our lives. Make us more like Jesus, we pray. In his name we pray, Amen? amen? Amen. Well, I read this article in the Honolulu newspaper from August 2014, and it's about three California sailors whose sailboat was ravaged by a perfect storm with high winds and 30-foot seas from Hurricane Julio. They describe the harrowing ordeal like this. It kind of looked like the perfect storm, said one sailor, referring to the 2000 movie. He said they were probably close to the eye of the hurricane with winds of up to 90 miles per hour. He says that a huge wave swamped the boat, breaking the hatch and causing the boat to fill with water. He goes on to say, normally I'm not a nervous person, but when I saw the galley halfway filled up with water, I began to worry. Amen. Now, he estimated that the wave that hit the boat was 50 feet high. And when the boat got hit, it began to tilt to 90 degrees. So just imagine yourself in that boat. That would be scary. Now, After being stranded in those waters for up to 24 hours, you can imagine the feelings that overtook these guys when they saw the container ship coming to their rescue and bringing them back to solid ground. Amen? 
Well, that's not the first time we read of something like this happening, because tonight in our study, the disciples are going to find themselves in a similar situation, stuck in, the, in a boat in the middle of a storm. Only their help is not going to come from a container ship. It's going to come from the one who contains all of the power in the universe, and that is none other than Jesus Christ. Now, you may know never find yourself trapped in a boat in the middle of a storm, but the storms of life will overtake you eventually if they haven't already. And our text tonight gives us great reminders of how to respond when we find ourselves being tossed around by the storms of life. And so Mark chapter 4 verses 35 through the end of the chapter is our text for tonight's Bible study. That day when evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. And leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion." The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? And he got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. And he said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? And they were terrified and asked each other, Who is this that even the wind and the waves Obey him. And so that's our text for our study tonight. And let's first talk about how Jesus is present with us in the storms of life. Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. And surely I am with you always, even to the ends of the age. Promises from the Lord found in Hebrews chapter 13 and Matthew chapter 28. Promises from the Lord to you and me. Promises that we really need to grab hold of, especially when we find ourselves sinking in the storms of life. And that's exactly where the disciples find themselves in our story. Now, on this particular day, Jesus had just finished teaching a series on the parables of the kingdom of God, which you find in the earlier parts of chapter 4. He was there by the sea, by the lake, by the Sea of Galilee, which is over in northern Israel. And our text tells us that when evening came, that Jesus gave a command to his disciples. And by the way, a disciple, it just means a learner. A person like you and me who wants to follow Jesus and learn from Jesus about who God is and what God is like. And so Jesus gives the guys this command, hey, get into the boat, we're going to the other side. See, Jesus has a plan for their life, just like Jesus has a plan for our life. He's taking them somewhere, just like he's taking us somewhere. And it starts with obedience. It starts with them getting into the boat, just like it starts with us giving our life to Jesus Christ. Now, boats in those days, do not picture in your mind a jet boat, 
a boat of fiberglass, you know, with the leather seats and the high-powered stereo and 600-horsepower motor. No, you don't want to picture that at all. Matter of fact, you want to picture a long wooden rowboat, and we actually have an image, if you want to pull that up for me. No, do the other one first. So this boat um, was actually found on the Sea of Galilee during a drought. The waters had receded and someone stumbled upon it. And archaeologists say that this boat is from the first century. And go ahead and show the other picture. So that's what it would have looked like in its glory days. And archaeologists, they say this, this was around during the time of Jesus. So Jesus perhaps rode in a boat, just maybe the boat that we saw earlier, or at least knew the owners of that boat. Now, I'll tell you what. That's not the kind of boat I want to be in in the middle of a storm, right? You saw that first picture. That boat probably went down in the middle of a storm. Matter of fact, I wouldn't want to be in a boat at all in the middle of a storm. This summer, we went on a retreat, the young adults and I, to uh, Pinecrest Lake, which is over by Yosemite, the Sierra Nevada mountains. It's beautiful, 5,000 feet of elevation, uh, beautiful pine trees, uh, all the way up to the edge of this lake, which is surrounded by rocky mountains. I mean, uh, it's beautiful. It's breathtaking. It's, it's gorgeous. It just shows God's majesty and, and his, his power to create. Um, but we were there, and we decided we were going to rent a, a pontoon boat, a party boat. Now, these are big 15-passenger uh, boats that are made out of aluminum, nice bench seats. There's an awning, uh, plenty of room for lots of people, for your coolers, for your barbecue. I mean, it's just really nice. Now, before we went out on the lake, uh, the marina staff gave me this warning. When you see storm clouds rolling in, and if you hear any thunder, you want to hightail it off that lake. And I was like, well, what's the big deal? Why do I need to get off the lake? Well, because your boat is made out of metal. And metal attracts lightning. And I was like, oh, okay. And so now this is a perfectly sunny day. And I just thought, well, you know, no big deal. I mean, this is fine. And so we're out cruising around, having a great time. But sure enough... Within a couple of hours, the storm clouds started rolling in. And you could hear the thunder and an occasional flash of lightning. And then the girls started to speak up. Hey, Jim, uh, you know, are we going in anytime soon? You know, because I'm trying. Anyways, <laughs> pretty, pretty quickly, the lake started emptying out as all of the boats started going in. And we followed suit as well. Why? Because boats plus a storm is a bad combination, whether your boat's made out of aluminum or whether it's made out of wood. And that's what the disciples were in. They were in a small wooden boat. It wasn't built to last. It, it wouldn't take much to rock that boat or to sink that ship. And our text tells us that a furious squall came up and the waves were breaking, up, breaking over the boat, and it was filling up, and it was about to sink. And so things were very, very bad. Now, the Greek word for furious is megas, and it means great. And that word is used throughout the New Testament to describe God. We do not believe in an ordinary, boring, and bland God. We believe and worship and serve a great God. Amen? And so, too, this is no ordinary storm where you just 
bust out your umbrella and put on your galoshes and just truck through this thing. No, this is the kind of storm where you board up your windows and you head for high ground. And so picture in your mind a thick, thick black clouds. The thunder is rumbling. It's shaking your bones. The lightning is flashing. You can see it from one side of heaven to the other. Ferocious gusts of wind, floods of rain, eight to 10 foot waves. In other words, a hurricane force type of storm. And so these guys were in deep, deep Trouble. Now, Matthew's account of this same story tells us that this storm came without warning, that it came upon them suddenly. In other words, they were not prepared for this storm. And that all has to do with the geography of that area. These storms would come out of nowhere. You see, the Sea of Galilee is up in northern Israel, and it is situated 600 feet below sea level. So it's like a bowl in the earth, like a basin. And it's surrounded by mountains on the east and west and on the north. And so when the cool winds come funneling through the gorges of those mountains, the cool winds from up north, from Mount Hermon, and when those cool winds meet the warm and the hot wind from the southern Judean desert, and when they meet on the Sea of Galilee, that high pressure system and that whole, that cold pressure system, and they, they meet, boom, the swirling begins because the winds are trapped there by the mountains and it turns into a furious, furious squall. Now, I was walking along the promenade on, uh, by, the sea, by the city of Tiberias, which is on the western shore of the Sea of Galilee, and I saw this memorial plaque from a storm that in 1992 that brought eight to 10 foot waves crashing into downtown Tiberias, the Sea of Galilee, and it caused significant damage to the downtown area. You see, these kind of storms are common over in that area even today. And they were back then as well. And so the Bible, once again, is providing accurate details for us. And so Jesus is there in the stern. He's present with them in the, in the, in the storm. Uh, the stern is just the back of the boat, and Jesus is sleeping. And I asked myself this, the same question that you're probably asking yourself. How in the world could anybody sleep through a hurricane? Are you kidding me? Well, I asked my kids the same question when they were somehow able to sleep through the earthquake that we experienced just a couple of months ago. All of my kids slept through the earthquake. How were you able to sleep? I don't know. I was just tired and I didn't wake up, okay? And so that's what's going on. Jesus is tired. He's exhausted. He's wiped out. It had been a long day of ministry and it had taken its toll on his human body. Now, a little bit of a sidebar, a little bit of a bunny trail here for you guys. Uh, the New Testament goes to great lengths in proving to us that Jesus was a man, that Jesus was a human being. Uh, first of all, the Bible tells us that Jesus entered the world the same way that you and I enter this world, and that is through the womb of a woman. 
Albeit he had no earthly father and he was born of a virgin, he was still born the same way that we are through the womb of a woman. He also had physical needs just like you and I and every other human being on the face of the planet has physical needs. He needed to eat. You remember when he was hungry? He went over to the fig tree looking for fruit. You remember on the cross, he was thirsty. He said, I thirst. And they they dipped the sponge in the wine vinegar and held it up to his mouth. And then, of course, Jesus needed physical rest as well, which we see in our story. So he entered the world the same way that we do. He had physical needs, and he had emotions, just like every single human being on the planet has emotions. He got angry when he saw the people selling in the temple. The temple was to be a place of prayer, but they had turned it into a den of thieves and robbers, and that ticked Jesus off. He also cried, just like we cry when someone dies in our life. You remember at the tomb of Lazarus, Jesus wept, the Bible says, the shortest verse in all of the Bible. And then Jesus rejoiced when he thought about our names being written in heaven. And so he was born the same way that we are born. He had physical needs just like we have physical needs. He had emotions just like all human beings. And he exited the world the same way we exit this world. And that is through death. And so Jesus in his humanity was like us in every way except one. And that is this, that he was sinless. He was without sin. He was perfect. He was righteous. He was holy in thought, in word, in deed, never doing anything that was outside of the will of God. And that also shows us that Jesus' death was different than ours as well. Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death. The reason that you and I die and the reason that all human beings die is because of our sin. It's a judgment on the human race. But Jesus, he had no sins of his own to die for. Rather, his death was a substitutionary death. He took my sins upon himself on that cross and he died in my place being judged by God for me. And so Jesus, he was a man, but no ordinary man. He was the God man, the perfect man. But we'll talk more about that later. So back to our story. Thank you for entertaining me there on that bunny trail. Uh, Jesus is there sleeping and the guys are beginning to freak out. And that really says a lot about this storm because there are some seasoned fishermen on that boat. This is not their first rodeo, ladies and gentlemen. They've been through many storms before, but this storm, these guys, they think we're gonna drown. They think we're gonna die. They think that we are not getting out of this alive. And so what do they do? They wake up Jesus. They go to Jesus and they shake him and they wake him up. And what do they say? This is This is sad. They say, don't you care? Don't you care? Could you imagine how that must have hurt the heart of God? How that must have hurt the heart of Jesus? Have you ever said that? Have you ever prayed that? God, the bills are due. The rent is due. The electrical bill is due. I don't have any money. Don't you care about me and my family? 
You said you provide for all of my needs, but there's nothing coming in. I'm putting in job applications. No one's responding. God, don't you care about me? My marriage, Lord, it's, it's falling apart. I thought you wanted us to be together forever. What God has joined together, let no man separate. But Lord, this thing is unraveling. What do I do? You're not doing anything. Don't you care, God? My kids, Lord, I raised them up in your ways. You said train a child up in the way you should go. When they're older, they won't depart. But Lord, they're departing. Don't you care about my kids? And we charge God with not caring, and it hurts his heart. We charge him with sleeping on the job. I believe this is an accurate portrayal of how many of us handle the trials and storms of life. Our life is like this small wooden boat. It's, it's fragile. It's, it's not built uh, to last forever. It doesn't take much to rock our boat. It doesn't take much to sink our ship. And we're going about day-to-day life trying to obey Jesus. And then suddenly, out of nowhere, a storm overtakes us and we become undone. A year and a half ago, a storm started blowing into my life. I got a phone call from my family over in South Carolina talking about how my mom was really sick and she was having all of these seizures. And I went over there and, and um, the doctors had no answer, but, but she came back to herself and was able to function. But over the past year and a half, she has progressively gotten worse and worse and worse. The doctors have done every test, the CAT scan, the MRI, even the PET scan. I hear that's the most expensive test in the ho- that the hospital offers, and they have no answers. But this storm is raging out of control. She doesn't even, she do, she's not the same person anymore. I can't even begin to describe to you the things that are taking place because of the storm that is raging in, in my mother's life. Perhaps you got a message from a family member like, like I did recently from a brother who said, in essence, I, I want nothing to do with you anymore or with your God, Jesus, because he doesn't exist. You see, storms of life, they take many different shapes and sizes. Storms of frustration. God, you said, I'm going to the other side. You had a plan for my life, but it doesn't look like this is going to happen at all. What's going on, God? Storms of fear. God, you said we're going over, but it looks like I'm going under. I'm not going to make this. I don't understand, God. Don't you care about me? And we throw our hands up and we give up and we charge God with not caring. It's so easy to allow the storms of life to shape our opinion and our view of God. Well, he must not care about me. Why else would he allow A, B, C, and D to happen in my life? Or he must have forgotten about me. Why else is he not doing anything? That's the mistake that the disciples made in our text, and that's the mistake that we sometimes make. You see, we can't allow the storms of life to shape our opinion and view of God. He does care about you, no matter what is happening in your life, and he has the scars 
to prove it. Now, the disciples, they did do a couple of things right when the storm came upon them, which we will do well if we mimic. And the first thing they did right was they remembered that Jesus was present with them in the storm. They remembered that Jesus was in the boat. And we might hear some objections. Well, yeah, of course. It was easy for them to remember that Jesus was present with them in the storm because he was right there. They could see him. He was in the flesh. He was in the stern, laying on the pillow. They could walk up to Jesus. They could shake him. They could yell in his ear. They could, they could feel his breath. They could look into his eyes. It would have been really easy for them. But for me, 2,000 years later, in the midst of my storm, I don't see Jesus in the flesh. He's not here on the earth in a body. He's in heaven at the right hand of God. It's different for me. And that's true. That is true. We don't have Jesus here in the flesh. But you have something that the disciples didn't have at that moment in time. You have Christ living inside of you. You see, the moment you give your life to Jesus, the Bible says that the spirit of Jesus, he comes to take up residence in your heart. He seals you for the day of redemption. And he is in there forever, never leaving you, never forsaking you at all. And that makes all of the difference in the world. You see, it wasn't until after the resurrection of Jesus that the disciples received the gift of Christ in them. You remember on the, the day that Jesus rose from the dead, the disciples are, are hiding out. John chapter 20 in that upper room. And then Jesus walks through the wall and there he is. And he breathes on them and says what? Receive the Holy Spirit. You see, before that time, the Spirit was with them, but he was not in them, okay? And so there were moments in their time with Jesus that three years or so, when they ministered with him on the earth, where Christ was not literally with them, if you would, and he was not in them, but not so for you. Everywhere you go, everything you experience, Jesus Christ is in you. And Jesus Christ is with you. When you go to bed, when you wake up, when you've got things to rejoice about, or when you're mourning through the good times and the bad, Jesus is present with you. He is present with you in the storm. And remembering that changes everything. Now, not only did the disciples remember that uh, Jesus was present with them, but they also cried out to him. Matthew's account of this same story says that they cried out, Lord, save us. And so a picture of prayer, a picture of what a Christian is to do in the midst of a storm, because you see great things happen when we cry out to Jesus. And that brings us to our second point. Uh, Jesus has power over the storms of life. Let's look again at verse 39. After the disciples came to him and cried out to him, Jesus gets up, he rebukes the wind and says to the waves, quiet, be still. Then the wind died down and it was completely calm. Now, I love this because it just comforts me to know that I have someone that I can go to 
when the storms of life are overtaking me. Uh, just a, a week or two or so ago, uh, my son woke up in the middle of the night and he had a nightmare. He was absolutely freaked out. And on top of that, he wakes up and he's in a dark room, just scared out of his mind. And then he realized, I have someone I can go to. I have someone who could bring me comfort and assurance and peace and safety, my parents. It's the same for us. When the nightmares of life overtake us, we have someone to go to who can bring us comfort and assurance and peace, and that is Jesus. Now, I love Jesus' response when they cry out to him. Uh, it says that he immediately acts on their behalf. He gets up, he rebukes the wind, and he says three words, quiet, be still. And then all goes calm, glassy waters, as the creation responds to the creator. Now, that is incredible power that Jesus possesses. Have you ever tried to calm the wind and the waves? Have you ever stood up in the middle of a storm and said, peace be still? I have. I've stood up and I'm in the middle of wind and rain and said, peace be still. And you get, guess what happened? Absolutely nothing. Matter of fact, that power would have been really helpful just a couple of weeks ago when I was playing disc golf. It was really windy out there, and the wind was really just killing my score. Sorry, guys, I had to throw that in there. So, I mean, I don't have that power, and neither do you. But Jesus, when he, when he speaks, I mean, man, things happen. Matthew chapter 28. Jesus says, all power in heaven and earth, all authority, it has been given to me. Jesus, he can do anything. He speaks a word and he calms a hurricane. He reaches out his hand and he touches a leper, a person who's been excommunicated from society, a social outcast, no life anymore because of his disease. And Jesus reaches out and touches him and heals this man. Jesus has power and he can calm the storm in your life. He, he heals a paralytic man. He takes a few pieces of fish, a few pieces of bread, and he feeds 5,000 people. He casts out demons, and he raises himself from the dead. He can calm the storm in your life. He has power over the elements, power over sickness, power over demons, creative power, life-giving power, and he has the power to calm your storm because Jesus has all power in heaven and on earth. Amen? So take your storms to Jesus and cry out to him. Now, as humans, we make much of the external circumstances and storms of life, but I think some of the greatest storms that we face are internal storms, storms of the heart and storms of the mind, that inner chaos, our, our will to live for God being blown to and fro, our emotions up and down like waves of the sea, and our thoughts, man, they're not bright and sunny most of the time, like Philippians chapter 4 exhorts us, to set our mind on things above, Colossians 3, to think about things that are good and holy and new and and noble, and so on and so forth. No, that's not the case. Oftentimes, our thoughts are dark and gloomy. 
I mean, how many stories do we read of people who have money, they have fame, they have the looks, they have the talent, they have health, they have it all. Everything that the world has to offer, yet on the inside, they're miserable. And some of them end up taking their lives. How is that possible? Well, some of the greatest storms of life are raging on the inside. You remember Acts chapter 12? the story of Peter. Uh, He was arrested. James, the apostle James, had already been killed. And and Peter's next. He's going to die tomorrow, if you would. And I can think of no greater storm coming my way than to know that tomorrow, Thursday, I am going to be executed for my faith in Jesus Christ. I would be freaking out. You know, alarms would be going off in my head. I'd be biting my nails. I'd be worried to death because I knew that my head was going to be taken from my body. But not Peter. Oh no, not Peter. What do we see him doing in that text? He's there sleeping, chained up between two soldiers. He's at perfect peace. Why? Because all was well on the inside. You see, Peter took his storm to Jesus. That storm on the inside, that fear of death and all of that. And and Jesus calmed his storm. And Jesus Christ can do the same for you today. He has the power and he's willing to calm your storm. And so we are to take our storms to Jesus. He is the great storm calmer. The Bible calls him the prince of peace. He can say to your storm, peace be still, amen? Now, one fascinating extra detail uh, to this story has to do with how Jesus speaks to the storm. He rebukes the storm in the same way that he rebukes demon-possessed people in the New Testament. Remember in Mark chapter 1, Jesus is there in the synagogue. He's trying to minister. It's a church service going on. He's trying to minister to the people. And Satan doesn't like it when God is trying to minister to people because it's an assault on Satan's kingdom. And so Satan has a guy in the church service that's demon-possessed. And so what does Satan want to do? He wants to cause a scene. He wants to interrupt the church service. And so the demon-possessed guy, when Jesus is teaching, begins to cry out in the middle of the service. And what does Jesus say to that man? Be quiet. Come out of him. He speaks to this man the same way that he speaks to the storm. Now, commentators suggest that this storm is satanically inspired. You see, Jesus is on his way for ministry, and Satan wants to prevent Jesus from ministering, and so he brings this storm. Satan has that kind of power. Open your, don't open your Bibles, but jot this down to Job chapter 1. You can check it out later. Job is a man. He's trying to serve God. He's trying to love God. He's trying to follow God. He's trying to minister to the people around him, and Satan doesn't like that. And so Satan wants to get Job to a place where he's no longer doing those things for the Lord. And so he goes to God, and he gets God's permission to begin to tempt and attack Job. 
And so Satan ends up bringing a fire down from heaven, Job chapter one. And it wipes out all of Job's sheep and all of his servants. And then later on, Satan brings a tornado and all of Job's kids are in a house having a party and this tornado tears down the house and all of the kids die. Satan was trying to prevent Job from ministering. He wanted to bring Job to a place where he would no longer serve God. And so it's possible that this is a satanically inspired storm because where was Jesus heading? He was heading to Gadara. Gadara is the place where the man who was possessed with the legion of demons, he lived in the tombs. His life was ruined and Jesus was going there to set this man free and then to ordain him as a missionary to the Decapolis, the 10 cities. He was going to send that man over there to evangelize that whole community because nobody could help this guy. And when they see him in his right mind, totally normal like everybody else, they're gonna know something supernatural happened to him. God had to intervene and that's, Jesus, that's what Jesus was up to. And so Satan does the same things with us. He brings storms into our life, I believe. And he wants us to think that these storms are somehow God punishing us or God against us, that God doesn't care about us. When all along, it's Satan just trying to prevent us from ministering to other people. If he can distract us with the storm and get us thinking that God has somehow abandoned us, then he has won. And so I just throw that in like Pastor Ross says for free. Now, let's move on. We've talked about how Jesus uh, is present with us in the storms of life and then how Jesus has power over the storms of life. And now let's talk about how Jesus has a purpose for the storms of life. And let's look at verses 40 and 41 together again. He said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Wow. So Jesus, he definitely has a purpose for all that you and I go through, even the storms of our life. He uses storms to foster growth in us. And for the guys in our story, he uses the storm to teach them something about themselves and then to teach them something about himself. And it's the same for us. He uses the storms in our life to teach us something about ourselves and then to teach us something about himself. And the first thing that Jesus teaches them is that their faith is weak. Jesus said, hey guys, we're going over to the other side. And then all of a sudden, the storm comes and what happens? They begin to doubt the promise and the word of Jesus Christ. They begin to think we're going under. God, you've abandoned your plan for our life. I thought you were taking us somewhere. We stepped into this boat, but now it doesn't look like we're going to make it there at all. And so their faith was really weak. You guys remember uh, the parable of the sower, the four soils. The soil, the, the seed was sown on rocky ground. It's a, a shallow kind of faith. 
all is well and you're believing and praising when things are good, but then when the storms of life or difficulties come your way, all of a sudden you are just abandoning everything and you are just giving up and walking away from God, a shallow kind of faith. Ladies and gentlemen, God's promises do not fail you just because times are tough. His promises are always sure and can be trusted. Philippians chapter 1 and verse 6 says, He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. For me, when times are tough, I like to remember three things. First, I like to remember the promises of God because the promises of God act as an anchor for your soul, especially when you're in the midst of the, so- of the storm. Romans chapter 8 and verse 28, a famous verse for Christians. If you don't have it memorized, you definitely should get this one down because it's a life changer. In all things, God works together for good for those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. And so when times are tough and times are difficult, I go to that scripture. I go to his word and I remind myself, yes, I don't understand why this is happening, Lord, but I know you're going to use it for good because you loved me and because you called me. And so I remember his promises. Second, I remember his character. I remember that he's a good God, that he's a loving God, that he's a kind God, and he's for me and he's not against me. And those things protect me. Those truths about his character and his nature protect me from the lies of Satan, which says that God is against you and God doesn't love you. And that's why these things are happening. And the third thing that I remember that gives me great confidence and assurance that God is with me in the midst of the storm is the cross of Jesus Christ. Jesus hanging and dying on the cross, taking care of my greatest need, my greatest concern, my salvation. He did that for me. He's never going to abandon me. He loves me and he cares for me. So first he teaches them that their faith is weak. And secondly, he teaches them that they have some misconceptions about what it means to be a Christian. And so perhaps they thought they were immune to problems immune to trials, immune to struggles, and immune to storms. I mean, why else would they cry out to Jesus, don't you care, God? Don't you care? Why else would they say that? It's that why me mentality. Why, God, is this happening to me? It's me, it's your child, it's your chosen one. I'm a child of the king, and so why are these struggles and why are these problems happening in my life? life. Many people today have been ruined and their faith has been shipwrecked from the health and wealth prosperity gospel. The teaching and the way of thinking that says that if you give your life to Jesus and if you believe in Jesus, nothing bad is ever going to happen to you. The storms of life will never blow your way because you are a child of the king. Matter of fact, on top of that, God's going to throw in, you'll never, ever get sick in this life. And a bonus, you are going to be rich. And all you have to do is sow your seed of faith. The fruit of that kind of teaching and the fruit of that kind of thinking is this. When those kind of people 
when, when, when people believe and think in that kind of way, when the, when the storms of life actually do come upon them suddenly and unexpectedly, you know what they do? They start saying, why, God, don't you care about me? They begin to question God, and they begin to question their own faith. I had a friend uh, many years ago, an older gentleman, he had poor health, and, uh, and his pocketbook wasn't very deep as well. And, but he was a wonderful man, and we used to go out sharing the gospel all the time together. He loved telling people about Jesus. Uh, but he began to listen to this kind of teaching, this teaching that says, God will protect you from all the storms of life. He'll make you rich, and he'll heal your body as long as you sow your seed of faith. And so he began to, to give space in his heart and his mind to this kind of teaching, and it absolutely ruined him because he didn't get healed, um, and he did not get rich. A couple of years uh, later, I bumped into him on the streets and he had this kind of attitude. I gave God my money. I gave God my all. But nothing has changed. I'm still poor. I'm still sick. Why, God, don't you care about me? You see, that kind of teaching ruins lives. We as Christians can expect storms in our life. Jesus promised them. John chapter 16 and verse 33. Jesus said, in the world, you will have tribulation. It's a wonderful promise, right? <laughs> Not really, but that's the promise of Jesus to all Christians. In the world, you will have tribulation. Now, there are re many reasons for the storms that we face, but I want to give you three of them. First, we experience storms in life because we're followers of Jesus. Jesus called us the light of the world, he was the light of the world while he was here, and now he's in heaven, and now we are the light of the world. And we've been commissioned by Jesus to, to spread that light to the people who are living in darkness. We're called to kick down the gates of heaven and rescue people from the clutches and the grips of Satan. And Satan takes that assault personal. And he comes after us like a roaring lion, seeking to devour us and destroy us. And he does that by bringing storms, I believe, into our life. The second reason that we face storms is because we live in a sinful world. We're surrounded by sinners. They're everywhere. Every time you see a person, guess what you're looking at? You're looking at a sinner. You're looking at a person who has the propensity to live a life that has nothing to do with God or his word. And sometimes the decisions and the actions of other people cause storms in our own lives. And the third reason that I believe that we face storms is because we're sinners ourselves. And sometimes we do stupid things. Sometimes we do sinful things and we have these self-inflicted storms. Jesus promised, in this world, you will have tribulation. You will have storms. But, he goes on to say, take heart. Take heart, Christian. For I have overcome the world. In other words, I will see you through this storm. Jesus is like the lighthouse guiding a ship to safety in the midst of a horrible storm. And so... 
Jesus first uh, uses the storm to teach the guys about themselves, and now he's going to use the storm to teach them something about himself. Uh, After Jesus rebukes the storm, the guys say, uh, who is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? In other words, they didn't fully understand who he was. They thought he was just a man. And when they saw him, though, get up and, and speak to those wind, that wind and speak to those waves, they began to scratch their head and question and wonder, well, maybe he's not just an ordinary man. Who is this? Now, one of the themes, uh, the major theme of the gospel of Mark is, who is Jesus? Mark chapter 1, after Jesus casts out that demon, The people are amazed and they're blown away by his teaching. What kind of teaching is this? The power over power over evil spirits? Who is this guy? Mark chapter 2, the paralytic is brought to Jesus, and Jesus looks at the man and he says, Son, your sins are forgiven. And everyone there sitting in the front row is like, Who does this guy think he is? Because that's only, that's something only God can do. Who is Jesus? And then Mark chapter three, his family, his mother and brothers and sisters, they thought he was crazy, especially when he ordained 12 apostles to follow him around and then to go and tell the whole world about him. Who is Jesus? He's a crazy man, they would say. And then the teachers of the law, also in Mark chapter 3, they said that Jesus was Beelzebub, Lord of the flies, Satan himself, casting out demons by the power of Satan. And don't even get me started on that. And so a major theme of the gospel of Mark is, who is Jesus? And here, in our text, Jesus is going to use this storm to reveal his identity to these men that he is God, because only God can calm a storm. Now, there's one other place in Mark that Jesus uses a storm to reveal his identity, and that's in Mark chapter 15, and it's also echoed in Matthew chapter 27. Jesus has been hanging on the cross already for three hours, dying for the sins of the world, and at 12 o'clock, he got on the cross at 9, and now it's 12, all of a sudden the sky goes black, darkness covers the earth, and then at the, at the sixth hour, at 3 o'clock, after six hours of suffering on the cross for my sins and for your sins and for the sins of the whole world, Jesus cries out a loud cry And he gives up his spirit to God the Father. And then the Bible says there's a great earthquake shaking the land. And and the, the veil in the temple was torn. And then the centurion, the Roman uh, centurion, whose job was to manage the crucifixion, to oversee the crucifixion, to make sure that that man died. When he saw that, when he saw the way that Jesus cried out and he saw the storm and everything that took place, what does he say? Surely this man was the son of God. No ordinary man. Who is Jesus? He is the son of God. 
And he uses storms to reveal that to us. The storm started blowing into my life when I was very young and we're wrapping up. Lost my parents when I was uh, just a little lad. Was abused growing up as a kid. Those were storms that were caused by the sinners around me. But as I got into my teenage years, I myself as a sinner began to cause my own storms as I began to experiment with drugs and alcohol and that kind of lifestyle. It culminated at the point when I was around 21 when I began uh, injecting myself with drugs. I became a junkie. And it was at that point when the storm was taking me down, when I was about to drown, when I was about to die, that I was thrown a life preserver. And it was from Jesus. Jesus revealed himself to me and said, will you allow me to save you? Will you allow me to rescue you? And I did giving my heart to Jesus Christ and so transformed, so different now that when people look at my life, they say, wow, the only person that could have calmed the storm in that kid's life is God. And that God is none other than Jesus Christ. And maybe you're here tonight and you don't know the Lord and you're wondering why are all of these things happening in my life? Why am I going through all of these storms and difficulties? Why is my life such a wreck? Perhaps God is allowing these storms because he wants to bring you to Jesus Christ. You see, there is a storm that is greater than any storm that you will face in this life. And that is the eternal storm of God's wrath. Eternity without God. Those who do not believe in Jesus Christ will experience that eternal storm. And so God will allow storms in your life to bring you to Christ so that you can avoid, avoid that eternal storm. Jesus went through a great storm. He suffered the eternal storm of God's wrath on that cross so that you wouldn't have to. And he offers to you the chance of eternal life by simply putting your trust in him. And you can do that by mimicking what the disciples did, crying out to Jesus, Lord, save me. Now, my precious brothers and sisters tonight, Christians, those of you who believe in Jesus, those of us who may be in a storm and those of us who will be in a storm someday, let's remember uh, these three things. First, Jesus is always present with us, especially in the storm. Secondly, Jesus has power over the storms of life, and so let's bring our storms to him. And finally, Jesus has a purpose for the storms. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Your word is spirit and life and able to speak to our hearts and our minds. And I just pray for your people, Lord, that you would build them up and uh, you would use your word uh, uh, just to minister to them tonight. They would think on these things and uh, throw away the, the things in my message that, that didn't make sense and, and hold on to the, the truths that you're with them, Lord. And you're powerful, power over the storm, and you have a purpose for it all, God. And so we just praise you and love you in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right, you guys can stand for the closing song. 
You have been listening to The Rock Podcast. Our regular services are held on Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. and Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you would like to learn more, please visit our website at calvertherock.org.